Greetings. This is Jim McCarty, welcoming you to the LNL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 71. LNL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And toward this end, has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, we respond to questions sent to Allendale Research from spiritual seekers like you. Our panel consists of Gary Bean and Austin Bridges and myself, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore the Law of One and related matters of metaphysical interest. We hope only to offer a resource that enhances your own seeking process. Please know that our replies are not the final word on these subjects. We ask each who listens to exercise discernment and be sensitive to the inner resonance of determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to llresearch.org forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Jim McCarty, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. Is everybody ready to go? I am. I believe I am. <laughs> Gary had to think about it. <laughs> I he, did. He was, he was voting in his mind. It took me a second. Okay, we have a question today from 1109 from Bring Forth. Hello, friends. I have a question that you can discuss if you're interested. I've been thinking about lower energy center blockage lately, trying to figure out my own areas that need work. I've come to the conclusion that the yellow ray energy center is my weakest point. I have problems getting a job, interacting with groups, not feeling passionate about anything the world has to offer. Basically, I don't want to do anything. It doesn't feel fear-based, more like disinterest. It's got me thinking about the path of the adept. Adepts tend to decrease outer activity in the world. So how does this compare to third-ray blockage, and what are the differences and similarities? Austin, uh, why don't we take off first with... um, what it's like for the yellow ray to be blocked and then to be unblocked. What's the healthy and the unhealthy situation with yellow rays? What, what's your opinion there? Well, I think that's a good place to start. And I really like this question, too. I think that as I started exploring it, the relationship of the yellow ray and the path of the adept is really interesting. And um, before I talk about my feelings about what the yellow ray is... Uh, blocked or healthy, um, I have to add a disclaimer that a lot of my uh, ideas about the yellow ray came from reading Carl Jung's work and relating it to the Law of One. Uh, Carl Jung, I feel like, really hit the nail on the head as far as social development goes and how we as people, but also as seekers in general, sort of relate to society and grow up within society and how that affects our ultimate psychological and spiritual developments. And I feel like there are a lot of uh, corollaries between Carl Jung and Ra as far as especially the yellow ray goes. So what it would mean to me for a yellow ray to be uh, blocked or... um, distorted would uh, mean a sort of uh, inability to relate to society or at least an inability to grasp the concept of social groups or grasp social groups in general. In my mind, the yellow ray is sort of our social identity within society as a whole. 
it isn't necessarily how we relate to other people on an individual basis with our individual unique personalities, but rather how we sort of interface with society, how we identify with larger groups within society and our place within society. So I think a blocked yellow ray would be somebody who feels like they have a hard time uh, relating to society and not just a hard time relating to society, but maybe has a distorted attitude towards society, a bitter or... um, uh, 1109 referenced fearful or uh, something along those lines that prevents them from really taking on a social identity and having an identity that helps to relate to society as a whole and uh, not only helps you to relate to society but it also helps society relate to the individual as well because we can't expect the entirety of society to automatically grasp the intricacies of our own individual psychologies at any given time. So it helps to have a sort of social position in order for others to relate to us on that social level, whether it is our job or how we identify socially in terms of like class or uh High school is a good example of how this happens in social cliques. We sort of really, as we are developing the yellow ray, I think, over-identify with sort of social movements and social ideas. So in high school, at least in my high school and in a bunch of portrayals and media and stuff, people segregated and really identified with their social circles. So you know, the the skaters and the goths, they had a very distinct style of clothing, and that was very important. And um, people really split off into their groups, and their groups were basically uh, a big part of their identity. And I think that is a good way to sort of see the yellow ray. And so a healthy functioning yellow ray, in my mind, would be somebody who is comfortable with their social identity comfortable with how that social identity relates to other social groups and social identities and can relate to uh, social identities on that social level uh, in a healthy and uh, balanced way. So um, I think for the initial questions, uh, probably what I got. That sounds good, Austin. Uh, Gary, how about you? What's your opinion here? Um, to to dig into what Austin was describing a little bit more, I I do want to say that of those various groupings in high school, the coolest was definitely the marching band. (laughs) I would know that because that was my group or one of my couple overlapping groups. That's what the marching band's known for is being (laughs) really cool. So yeah. Yeah. It's pretty universal. Especially tuba players. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was alto sax, so within that hierarchy of coolness, I was near the top, actually. You're right below the drum line. So um, I thought Austin did a very good job. I would just add that into the mix of Yellow Ray is um, one sense of power in relating to groups, too, and a, a negative use of Yellow Ray would seek dominance of an individual within a group and would seek the group's dominance over another group. So say those who want their country 
to um, defeat or be better than others or working with a yellow ray. That can manifest in a healthy way, say, in sports, but say in war where you want the destruction of uh, other nation states or so forth, it might be a, a negative yellow ray. Um, but there are healthy uses of power, too, that are in balance and move along the lines that Austin was describing, where um, on the in the positive model, power is shared on an egalitarian basis. One recognizes their own power or their social, rather, their group's own power and the power within that particular identity, but um, seeks the to serve others and increase the empowerment of all. But um, that's about all I have to add to the yellow ray aspect of this question right now. Okay, good job, Gary. Um, I would just echo what you both said and uh, maybe add just a little bit. Um, the basic expression to positive and negative polarity is... Uh, acceptance and love for the positive and uh, separation and domination for the negative. So I think that for the first three rays, uh, especially for the orange and the yellow, that those are especially applicable, that uh, when we find ourselves in groups which are unevitable, inevitable, <laughs> unavoidable and inevitable, put those two together to get unavoidable, um, <laughs> that we're going to see behaviors of that nature pop up because uh, that's where we're starting with as an individual. Um, we find ourselves in a, a work situation or a school situation or a team situation where we relate to other people and we pretty much begin with where we are as one individual and uh, with the orange ray. And we tend to reflect that upward as we move through the energy centers, and especially into the yellow, as Gary was saying, with uh, groups. Uh, teams are probably one of the best uh, examples of groups that tend to uh, foster the like-minded thinking and behavior of the members of the group so that when they get in competition with another group, say it's uh, you know, athletics or band competition, um, <laughs> they can uh, show how adept they are um, at whatever it is they do by beating the dickens out of the other group. And I guess that's a behavior characteristic that we all go through at some point or another because we know when you're at the age of junior high or high school or grade school or even college and later on you know it can last a lifetime uh you really don't know any better than to identify with a group like that and to accept the group's values and to uh, just probably intensify them just to show that you're a really good member of that group and you do those things but eventually um I think this bleeds over into our coming discussion on the adept that uh, some people start thinking for themselves at some point and they decide that they don't want to uh, do that anymore. There's something inside of them that says, you know, that's kind of infantile behavior. That's destructive. That's, uh, that's not the way that uh, uh, I want to be. Maybe they've got a model somewhere. Maybe they've started reading into areas of philosophy or religion or social activism or um, any of the, uh, the people who have really uh, made a mark for themselves in our world by having a, a philosophy that tends to take in people rather than exclude people and to uh, be able to extend the open heart to more and more people. And I think that is something that can begin on in both the orange and the yellow rays so that we are 
um, preparing ourselves, really, to uh, open our hearts eventually. I think everything we're doing here in the third density is a preparation for opening our hearts. And the uh, the yellow ray that is functioning the most freely is, as Ross said, the, uh, the one in which the entity is able to love everybody that has the relationship with it, hoping only for the other person's uh, joy, peace, and comfort. And uh, we're not trying to put anything over on them or get anything from them, uh, just wishing, uh, wishing them well. And I think that's when we begin to mature as human beings, is when we can see that there's no good reason for us to separate ourselves from each other, even though it's so easy and so acceptable to separate ourselves when we're growing up. And past that, uh, when we're in our workplaces, we, you know, we, we want our company to do better than our competing company. We want our country to do better than another country. So um, I think that we're, we're, what we're doing with the Yellow Ray is really preparing to expand our, our love of the people in the group and outside of the group to a universal nature. Any further thoughts on uh, the blockages or unblocking of the Yellow Ray? Just briefly, that tribal is another word that comes up when considering Yellow Ray, and you see that mindset manifest um, more and more clearly lately nowadays. And I think what you describe, Jim, is exactly right, that we move from that sort of mindset the my tribe only to a universal one and that is the movement to green ray yeah and it's difficult to really pick apart the distinction between the development of the orange and the yellow because i think that there is an element of orange in the tribal attitude mm-hmm. um but i guess uh to before we start getting into the big uh way that yellow might relate to the path of the adept. I wanted to touch on the concept both of you referenced, I think, in sports. And um, in my view, what sports would be, it would be, um, it's hard to really get into the metaphysics of how this affects our society as a whole, but what I would see is a healthy way to explore the concept of power over others in groups like that. And that isn't just based on the team themselves, but based on, you know, the entire fandom of that team. Um, but I think uh, it got me thinking about a maybe wholly positive expression of Yellow Ray group uh, expression within society and maybe a manifesting positive power in the Yellow Ray sense could be when a group... Uh, you sort of touched on this, Gary, when a group empowers its own members to empower the rest of society, where part of that social group identity is one in which there is a calling and a motivation to share the well-being of all with all of society. And that is manifested not as the individual alone, but as the group working together and tapping into that group mind that might manifest in something like sports and pointing it towards the well-being of society as a whole. A couple of quick examples that come to mind in terms of what you're describing are something like when the military or like National Guard is put to disaster relief or rescue efforts or um, say like the Peace Corps that goes and uh, is of aid to those in need. Yeah, like Doctors Without Borders. Yeah. These are, are groups that have a very distinct identity, I think. I'm sure members of these groups are proud to be part of that group, and uh, that identity empowers them in their service. 
Yeah, those are good points. Um, drawing from my previous uh, fanaticism with uh, athletics, and especially Nebraska football, um, uh, without touting Nebraska fans too much, uh, <laughs> on a couple of occasions, um, the national television audience witnessed something in Nebraska that has, I've never seen or heard of anywhere else. And that is that opposing teams came into Lincoln, Nebraska, playing the University of Nebraska football team, and Nebraska was supposed to be the overwhelming um, odds to win. And both these teams, uh, Texas in 1997 and Florida State in 1981, came in and beat the Nebraska teams. And as those opposing teams were leaving the field, the Nebraska fans stood and gave them an ovation, a standing ovation, because they appreciated good football. And they just saw really good football because Nebraska played well. But those two teams played better. And uh, that's something that, um, I've always been proud of, more proud than national championships, is the how Nebraska fans <laughs> treat the opposing teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just this isn't um, what the show is about, but I do want to like uh, share this thought that I think competition, as it's expressed in sports, is part of us innately, especially because of our biology. Like, um, If you just look at the second density on Earth and how we evolved through it, uh, we have uh, competition in our DNA, and I think finding a way to integrate that into our social relationships in a positive way is one of the biggest hurdles for humanity. And once we can figure out how to do that, I think it will be a more powerful thing than a hindrance. Oh, definitely. Um, that takes me back to my days in uh, uh, the Rocky Mountains when I went to the Brain uh, Self Control Research School. And uh, the fellow there had the philosophy that uh, human beings had evolved from the ape, as we know from Ra is correct. But he specifically said that we had evolved from Australopithecus africanus, a South African ape, which was also known as the killer ape. It was the first mammal, first kind of its species, to kill its own kind with a, a leg bone of an antelope, I believe. And so he said that that was basically what we had to overcome. That was what was uh, risk, you know, we were risking the um, ability of human beings to live on the planet uh, when we have something like the atomic bomb, if we have this type of uh, competitive mentality in our brains. I think that, you know, that probably is something that's more related to the uh, energy center, the, what we're talking about here, the yellow, than it is the brain. I think the yellow energy center probably has a, a home somewhere in the brain there. The old root stem is where the the, um, the ape is located. It doesn't have frontal lobes, so the old root stem and the, the uh, neocortex. So uh, that's what we're working on when we're trying to uh, overcome these uh, tendencies, the, the survival, you know, the red ray of the sexual reproduction and survival. And um, when those tendencies are moved higher up the energy centers and uh, if we still have those competitive tendencies, then um, we tend to reflect that in our relationships with others, and it tends to be a deleterious type of relationship. And uh, I think that uh, a lot of things like uh, spouse abuse and child abuse and uh, those things come from that, that we know because of what is taught in society and in church that we shouldn't be doing that. But there is that tendency in us to want to control others or to uh, uh, have them... uh, do exactly what we want, and we have those types of behaviors when we begin to abuse people uh, in in silent and secret. And I think it's interesting now that it seems like all across uh, the country here, I don't know if it's worldwide or not, but there's so many uh, revelations of uh, 
men who have abused women in their past in very high places, and they're, uh, they're now having to pay. And it's almost like a, a social revolution where um, this re realization of needing to respect people and love them rather than compete against them and abuse them and control them is, is becoming um, almost a, a national movement. Any further thoughts there? We're really <laughs> ringing up everything we can get out of this. <laughs> yeah, I've got lots more thoughts, but uh, I'm fine with moving on. Okay. Um, well, uh, we've got the concept now of the ADEP because um, I believe it's 109-1109 mentions something about the ADEP. Uh, I think in his own mind he's wondering if he has a yellow ray blockage or is he displaying some of the qualities of the ADEP who at some point discovers that it must travel another path, that the worldly attractions no longer are attractive, and that they just uh, don't fulfill his or her needs anymore. And uh, there is a, a solitary path. Uh, Don called it an excursion, and it turned out to be an excursion into the uh, catalyst of the spirit, which is uh, faith and hope, so that the adept then can begin to discover more of the qualities of uh, the creator within it Itself as it opens up and balances and uses the indigo rays. So, uh, Gary, you have some thoughts there? What you describe, I think, is a great thread for exploration. I hope uh, you guys dig in in that regard in terms of, like, the world no longer being that attractive to the adept. And I think Ra's talk about disassociation plays into that, too. wasn't uh, my avenue really. Um, I think what got 1109 thinking was, uh, and I don't know if this is the Q&A you referenced, Jim, because I don't have the number with me, but Rod defines the adept and says, the seeker becomes the adept when it has balanced with minimal adequacy, the energy centers red, orange, yellow, and blue, with the addition of green for the positive, thus moving into indigo work. And indigo work, I think, is key to understanding the adept. The adept then begins to do less of the preliminary or outer work having to do with function and begins to affect the inner work, which has to do with being. As the adept becomes a more and more consciously crystallized entity. Oh, we'll skip that part. But Ra juxtaposes this shifting of focus from the outer work to the inner work. And I th I'm reading 1109's question as a, a springboarding from that. And I think it's a really good question. And But I think that when Ra says that the adept moves from the preliminary or outer work, I don't think that means that the adept is unmotivated or um, is dis disinterested in engaging in life, per se. On the contrary, I see the adept as one who has successfully negotiated these lower energies to a certain extent. I mean, not necessarily mastered social situations or um, accumulated a brilliant resume, just that the indigo ray level of consciousness that Ra is describing presupposes that the entity doesn't have any major stumbling blocks in the lower chakras. So they can perform the duty as needed, whether that is the income work or the the necessities of the social sphere, but their attention is oriented toward inwardness and toward service and towards the present moment. So, in other words, uh, the adept is one who meets whatever needs done in the moment, but what's of greater importance to them is how the moment is met. Um, 
the quality of their attention, the the love and light in their energy, and the purity of their desire to seek and to serve. And the adept is engaged in a, a never-ending process of tuning the being and balancing the energies and align, aligning the self with the creator. And whatever the adept is doing on the surface is just a vehicle for that um, more interior and more fundamental process within. And what 1109 is describing um, could have any number of causes, but my best guess is that the the sort of um, malaise he or she feels might be symptomatic of lower chakra blockage. Uh, the, the adept certainly may not be interested in any of the activities that the world deems interesting, but not from a place per se of apathy or inertia. Uh, instead, from a place of active presence and love and ability to ga- engage where needed, where there's a call for service. That's my thoughts. Pass it back to you, host. Okay. Uh, good job, Gary. Uh, Austin, how, how about you? What's your opinion here? Um, to sort of, I guess, uh, take the ball from Gary and the thread he was going with, just a thought on what he was describing, I think. You know, some people might feel it's up for interpretation, but that quote that you referenced specifically, Gary, about less of the outer work and more of the inner work that has to do with being, um, it could be sort of a semantics thing about what people interpret outer work to be. I feel like maybe it's easy to interpret that as being outer service or activity in the outer world versus sitting and meditating and looking inside. And I feel like maybe what you were saying, and I agree, is that that is not necessarily the case, but that the work that Ra is referencing is like work in uh, consciousness where outer work would be that work which we rely on the outer world to do inside of us. And then inner work uh, being finding a place where uh, there isn't a reliance on the outer world but there's doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily mean that there's not activity. Yeah. Uh, just because you're coming from a place of being doesn't mean that you aren't out in the world and serving. Um, it just is flowing through you more than you having to uh, find situations to react to them and uh, thinking about reacting and trying to actively find. Uh, the best path of service and things like that. Um, So I think uh, along those lines, uh, I completely agree. And then to get into sort of the other discussion, I actually can't even remember the angle that you um, approached it from, Jim. Um, I was caught up in Gary's. But just this general theme of the yellow ray and how it relates to the path of the adept, I think that is particularly where Carl Jung's work shined because some of his key concepts dealt with this. Um, He had the concept of what is called adaptation, which is sort of the process of coming to terms with one's external world, particularly our external social world, and balancing that with our own unique psychological characteristics. And... This is where we get the terms introvert and extrovert from. 
uh, Carl Jung, you know, coined those terms and offered them to us as modes of adaptation, how we deal with social situations and how we balance it with our own unique psychology. And I think having such terminology really helps to um, guide a seeker in becoming comfortable with how they relate to the social world because not everybody is going to relate to the social world in the same way. Uh, not everybody is going to be an extrovert that is just adept in any social situation and um, is able to expend, you know, a seemingly infinite amount of energy just socializing and drawing sort of this power from real um, yellow ray social interaction. But the balance of yellow ray, I think, comes more from the comfort of how we relate to society and the uh, ability to uh, relate to social groups with a sense of love and joy. Like you referenced earlier, Jim, the um, the quote where Ross says that uh, each entity must, in order to completely unblock yellow ray, love all which are in relationship to it with hope only for the other self's joy, peace, and comfort. And I think that's obviously talking about the positive uh, yellow ray unblockage there. So I think what Ra is saying there is those who are in relationship to it being the social relationship, essentially, and maybe even personal relationship, but um, the way I interpret it is social relationship. And so how that um, relates to this path to the adept, I think, is that once we become comfortable with our social identities, we can then, in unlocking Blu-ray and uh, accessing Blu-ray and evaluating honestly these social identities, find out what portion of these social identities might not actually serve us and might not actually serve others and be able to sort of navigate the social world without this over-identification with these social groups. But we are still comfortable with how we relate on a yellow array level. And that Blu-ray then, uh, as Gary was saying, after that's balanced, um, the indigo ray work becomes accessible. And then that is the path of the adept. And then Carl Jung basically addresses that in his uh, concept of individuation. Individuation is essentially through the process of adaptation. A person becomes comfortable with their social situation, their outer situation, to the point where they can relate to it on an individual level, where they can be honest with themselves about their social status and their social identity and their beliefs and determine what beliefs and what distortions and biases come from uh, the social identity only and which ones are really true to our hearts. And I think that is the key step, first step in the adepthood is that uh, blunt honesty with the self about our beliefs and our uh, relationship to the world and figuring out where they come from and whether or not they truly serve us on uh, our path of service. So um, it felt a little disjointed, but those were my thoughts. Okay, very good, Austin. You covered a lot of ground there. Um, I had one thought that's um, perhaps related to uh, 1109 situation. You know, he's trying to figure out why it is that he doesn't have the uh, stick to to hold a job and so forth. Um, you know, wanderers have problems like that fairly frequently, um, coming from higher densities and finding themselves in this 
third density in general is difficult enough. But then when you find yourself in a third density like the one we have here, uh, it's extra difficult, I'm sure, because there is so much disharmony. It does not re resemble the home density very closely at all. And so there's a lot of uh, types of uh, psychological difficulties that wanderers go through in basically just rejecting the, the culture and the environment in which they find themselves. Uh, the allergies Ross spoke about are basically the rejection of the unconscious mind for the entire environment, you know, the planet, the density, and everything you have here, you know. Uh, I want to go home is the basic thing. So, you know, he could be suffering from some wanderer's blues uh, in not being able to enjoin with others in the normal practices of holding jobs and having social relationships and so forth. So I just want to throw that in as a little possibility. Um, back to the quality of the adept, um, I, I don't think there's any chance really that he's uh, expressing the nature of the adept to travel that solitary path that each adept must travel in order to be true to him or herself and find those qualities of the self that are able to be uh, utilized in uh, opening the indigo and making contact with intelligent energy, intelligent infinity. Um, because I think there that the adept is one who really has, as Gary said, been able to maybe not master all the lower energy centers, but at least activate them in a balanced fashion, which has allowed the, uh, the prana of the creator uh, to travel high enough into the indigo ray that the indigo center is opened. And uh, after the opening, then there is a period of balancing, uh, which can take a long time. I mean, <laughs> my indigo was opened in 1972, and uh, I've been balancing it ever since, I'm <laughs> sure, um, either consciously or unconsciously. And I think that a lot of what happens to an adept is um, it, most of the journey has to be conscious, I believe, because it's something that you're focusing your energies upon in the most efficient manner that you know. And I think, though, that there is also, I don't know if they're pre-incarnated choices. I, I tend to tend in that direction to think that they are. But at some point, there seems to be stages that we go through that are almost like a surprise to us. It's like, uh, well, I didn't know I was working on that, but by golly, I'm glad I'm there. Um, after Carla passed away, I guess it was about two weeks after that, that I felt like, my um, spiritual journey was uh, thrown into high gear. It was like a, a, a race had begun. A starter's pistol had gone off, and a race had begun. And now it was time to uh, get serious about my spiritual journey, which mostly manifests in med meditation. But as time went on, I also noticed other things happening that I wasn't trying to make happen. I noticed things of the world falling away. I was no longer interested in watching television or movies, or uh, athletics, you know, sports, um, no longer interested in, in dancing or in music, which, uh, you know, had been big parts of my life before that, no longer interested in any type of a social event that didn't include a, a spiritual theme or a possibility to be of service. So, you know, those things just happened, and um, it feels right, but it, it's not something I said, well, you know, I'm going to be an adept, so i got to get rid of these things. <laughs> That's just not the way it worked at all. I don't think that's the way it works for any adept. I think that the people who want to become conscious seekers of truth and, and, and to serve the Creator in every possible way by opening all the energy centers and becoming one with the Creator, I, I don't think that there's, there's any attempt consciously 
to reject any part of the world. There is more of an attempt, as a matter of fact, to feel a compassion for and a love for the rest of the, everybody, for everything and everybody. And I, th I think that is what is conscious. And then there are just things that occur as a result of that, as a result of your conscious choices or maybe your pre-incarnative choices. I think that starter's gun going off was a pre-incarnative choice, and Carla's passing was what was necessary for that to happen. It was, it was just set up just like one, two, three. So um, those are my thoughts on that. Has anybody else got anything to say about this topic of adepts and how, we, how they travel the path of seeking? Yeah, especially springboarding off your own experience because it, it offers a good model. <clears throat> I would like to highlight that the adept is the the path of the adept is one of that is very active. Now, the body may be motionless in meditation. The life may be simplified and made quiet and humble. But the adept is one who is very engaged and active in terms of the quality and concentratedness of their focus. Um, I think stillness itself, true interior stillness, is the highest state of activity and focus. But it's not... It's not a lethargy. It's not um, distracting oneself and saying, I don't really vibe with the world or its employment system, and instead I'm going to find comfort and meaning where I can, say through food or drugs or other distractions and forms of escape, as fine as all those things are. I'm not speaking in terms of judgment. But the, the adept... Um, is not seeking meaning or being from those sources per se. But like Jim has been doing uh, very effectively the past couple of years, is seeking being, and through that very engaged path, things fall away. And I think part of what falls away, such as Jim was describing, is identification with form with the illusion, with that which had formerly brought satisfaction. Um, and point of fact, one of my favorite quotes from Eckhart Tolle is when he says that the most important step that you can take on your spiritual journey is to disidentify from the mind. And this is also echoed when Ra talks about disassociation being a necessary portion of the path of the adept. The adept disassociates from um, the former containers of, of thought and form with which it had identified. And to bring Yellow Ray into this and use Yellow Ray as a point of examining this disassociation, uh, we were talking about the social groups with which one identifies in Yellow Ray, so much so that if a conceptual attack is made on a social group, and if we're part of that, we feel that we've been attacked. Or we identify it with, with it so much that we would give our lives to it and take other lives for it. The movement upwards through the chakras is a movement of transcendence, of moving beyond each chakra to go to its senior, and then the next, and the next. So this disassociation, this disidentification with mind, this falling away in the yellow ray would be to say, 
like Austin was saying, I'm comfortable with these patterns of social identity in my yellow ray, but it is not who I am. You've transcended those costumes of social identity. You might say, I, I like wearing leather chaps and I like my tattoos and I like my Harley, <laughs> but it is not who I am. I don't derive identity from this really. It's just an outer form. It's an outer costume that I'm participating in and um, other costumes may serve me at different points in my life or so forth. But that's what Jim's walk brought to my mind about the path of the adept and how disassociation plays into that. All right. Thank you, Gary. Um, final thoughts, Austin? Yeah. Um, this is touching on sort of what I skipped in my last response is the concept of disinterest that 1109 talked about and how that relates to this concept of disassociation that we're talking about. And it's impossible for us to know exactly what 1109 is going through, is interested in, maybe they have unlocked a key to the path of the adept and are going through that. But I think the point to highlight here is how this concept of disassociation could possibly be used as a form of spiritual bypassing, where a, a healthy yellow ray would be necessary first before transcending, uh, before being able to uh, elevate and do the indigo ray work that is indicative of um, the adept. So essentially taking, using you as an example, Jim, um, again, uh, your life has a context of, um, uh, you know, decades of spiritual work and your disassociation from these sort of social things was not out of a rejection of them. It was like Gary was saying, a transcendence. And I think for um, a lot of people uh, going on the spiritual path, uh, what Gary was talking about in the transcendence, I think it is a, in relationship to Yellow Ray and these personas that we have socially, a transcend and include. Uh, it's important that those personas are still are developed in order to have a relationship with society. If we never develop that yellow ray, if we never develop our social identity, we have no way to serve society because there's no relationship with it. There's Good no way to point. interface with it. We have to be able to um, really develop within society in order to then understand it enough to serve it. And uh, Carl Jung <laughs> touched on this. There's a quote he has. Um, he said that if a plant is to unfold its specific nature to the full, it must first be able to grow in the soil in which it is planted. So if we are able to truly express ourselves as adepts and individuals within society, we have to first become comfortable and uh, grow within that society. And so the disinterest could be a bypass where they say, I don't want to be interested in society. And especially in our society, especially for wanderers, like you were saying, Jim, that is an easy route to take to just say, this is a mess. I don't want anything to do with this. And um, just sort of close in on ourselves and, uh, you know, sort of start um, going into our mind and just being more comfortable just within ourselves versus, um, you know, really taking in and accepting society. 
whereas the adept will have done that work of integration and then the dissociation happens. So those are my final thoughts. Good thoughts, Austin. Uh, Gary, a final thought from you? Nope. Great job. Okay, well, I think we've completed another show successfully. I think it was a good show, gang. You've been listening to the LL Research's bi-weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting this podcast with your questions, and a special thank you to 1109 for sending us the questions featured in this episode. If you'd like to hear us ramble on about any particular topic, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast. We want you all to know that we love you very much. Um, our hearts are just open to you totally. We feel your love coming back to us. And that's what we're all here to do, to help bring each other home. New episodes are going to be published to the Archive website every other Wednesday afternoon, Eastern Time. Have a wonderful couple of weeks. We will talk with you then. Oh.